Right on. You know, Jesus, Jesus said in his writings, you know, how it's by this that people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And that's what, that's what Ark Serve Day is really about. It's about us loving on the people of Mays County. And love is an action. And so it takes action. It takes getting out of our comfort zones, getting out of our normal, you know, life, whatever, and just spending a couple of hours serving the people of Mays County. So if you're not signed up for Ark Serve Day, um, there is a sign-up sheet out in the foyer. I'd encourage you guys, go sign up. Find, there's, I think there's lists out there on uh, which town and which serve opportunity uh, are available or ones that we're doing. And, uh, and honestly, there's, there's plenty of things to do in Mays County. So if there's something on that list that you're like, you know what, I'd like to see us, or not on that list, that you'd like to see us do in the future, let them know. I mean, we're always looking for opportunities to reach out into our community, and ARC Serve Day is just one that we can kind of partner together with all of our ARC family and do something significant, really, in our nation. So, super excited about that. So, uh, if you're not a part, go out, sign up, be a part. It's next Saturday, um, and I know, I, know, um, I know you're going to enjoy it when you do. Amen, everyone. And then I wanted to talk about something that they mentioned in the announcements, but, um, but you may have not heard or maybe didn't put it together. But our youth conference starts on July the 27th. Come on. We're excited about it. We really are. There is something going on in this culture and in this generation that I believe the Lord is going to speak to. And we're going to do something different this year than, we, than, we, than we've done in the past. We're actually inviting you to night one of the student conference. It is our normal last Wednesday service, so it's July the 27th, so it'll be a normal last Wednesday service, and I believe I'm opening that service up. And so the Lord gave me something the week, week one of my little June-cation or sabbatical, whatever you want to call it about what I'm supposed to minister on that night. Now, though it will be tailored to young people, because again, it's our student conference, it applies for this whole generation. I believe it applies for the body of Christ, and it for sure applies to us as a community of believers. And so mark it on your calendars. You know, some people, you know, well, if I can make it, I'll I'll make it. And this is when you're going to want to make it to. This is going to be one that if you're scheduled to work, you're going to want to ask off for. This will be, this will be worth time off without pay um, to be a part of this service. And so that's, again, July the, the 27th. Um, and then we're moving into something in August. We always get geared up for what I call our fall ministry season. Um, so August is what starts it for us, and every year in August we do a relationship series. And you're like, well, why do we do it in August? Why do we always talk about relationships? The number one felt need in America has to do with relationships. Well, relationships, communication, finances, like there's a lot. There's a lot. But if, if we could just figure out how to live together civilly, are you with me? Um, we'll, get, we'll get a lot further. And there are some things that I think just we've forgotten about how to be married, how to be in a dating relationship, what the Scripture says about just relationships in general. And so we're going to cover these pretty extensively in, starting in the month of August. And I've heard this before, and, I, and, and I'll probably hear it again. I'm not coming to that series because it's, it's for married people. It's not just for married people, friends. There is things, you can extract something from the Word of God every single time you look into it. 
Are you with me, friends? And so I want you to be a part of that. And because this is one of our biggest outreach series we do a year, we're actually going to, you guys are familiar, we do 21 days of fasting and prayer in January. We're actually going to do it again in August. And so we're going to open up the church at 6 a.m. Um, we're going to have we're going to join our friends at Church of the Highlands. They do all the heavy lifting. It's their worship team that shows up at 6 a.m. We just join them live, and we'll open up the small auditorium. If it gets too big, we'll come right down in here. Uh, but we want to pray for our county. And when when Highland says, let's take a few minutes right now and begin to pray for for our our city, we're going to take that time and we're going to pray for our county. We believe that Your Place Church is not just called to Pryor. We believe it's called to our whole county. It includes Salina, Shoto, Locust. Um, are you with me? Spavanaugh. I know the, all, the county of Mays County is where we believe we're called to. And, and people are like, well, I don't know if people will drive, you know, to Pryor on a Sunday morning. Hey, a church alive is worth the drive. Yeah. Amen, everyone. Church alive is worth the drive. And so we're going to do our part to get the word out, but what I need you guys to do is I need you to join me at 6 a.m. and pray. We do it early enough so you can still get to work. Um, January is uh, 21 days of fasting and prayer. Um, August is going to be 21 days of feasting and prayer. So, so if you want to fast something, that's between you and the Lord, but for us, we're still eating, okay? So, but we are going to spend time praying. We really are. And it's always a real good time. Um, and people are like, well, I can do it once a year, but twice a year? Well, just remember who you became as a result of January's time of prayer. Remember what the Lord said to you in January. Why not do it two times a year? Amen? So that'll start in August. I'm, I'm super excited about that. Last week, we began a series that we've entitled Ride or Die. Uh, the definition comes from the Urban Dictionary. And you're like, really? You're using an Urban Dictionary definition? Well, yeah, I am, because it sounds good. It's Ride or Die is when you're willing to do anything for someone you love or someone you really appreciate in your life, that person or the person who... Uh, you stand by in any problem and vice versa. The term ride till the end or die trying, right? We all have these relationships, and if we don't, we want them, don't we? Someone that will just stand with us through come hell or high water, thick or thin. You know what I mean? We all need somebody that we can just do life with. And for, for a lot of us, our spouse fills that role. But I believe the Scripture is actually pointing to others as well and their role in kind of that urban dictionary. And um, I'm just going to be honest with you. I woke up at 4.50 this morning looking over these notes and they made absolutely no sense to me this morning. They made absolutely, I had 10 pages of notes. Uh, and I wrote this, um, I wrote this a few weeks ago, but after spending time, you know, on the mountain of God and in His presence, I slashed these notes up this morning. So I'm sorry in advance to my production team back here who's going to do their, their best to follow me. Uh, I said, I think I'm going to touch most of the scriptures, but the points may, may make no sense. It was a good message, don't get me wrong, but it just didn't feel right. Is it okay if I just go a different direction today a little bit? We're going to do that. We're going to do that. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we know that your word, the entrance of your word, brings life and it brings understanding. 
Lord, this, is, I, I could, this could be the shortest mis, uh, message in history or it could be the most powerful message in history. Lord, it really just all depends on us in listening to you and what the Holy Spirit wants to say in and through us. Father, I know that there are points in this message today that are not written on my screen, so I'm going to have to just trust you that they just fall out during the message. God, we love you and we worship you and we thank you for your word. I thank you for the Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I believe that there's a lot of people that when we get to heaven, they, um, they're going to get rewards. They're going to get props. They're going to get accolades. And again, the, the, you know, the Bible talks about different things that happen when we get to heaven, when this age is over, um, the great white throne judgment, uh, the day of judgment. You can read about it. I'm not really talking about that. But I think there's going to be people who stand up there who Jesus himself will get up off of his throne and place a crown on their head because of how they lived their life down here. And some of them, we'll ne- we won't even know. In fact, I would dare say most of them we will, we will have never heard of. I think we think about people like that, and we think, well, Billy Graham. Billy Graham's obviously going to get a crown. Like, Billy Graham did it. Like, Billy Graham. I, I heard a joke once. Can I tell you my joke? There was a, Billy Graham was coming home from a crusade. I've told this before, but it's my favorite joke. Billy, Billy Graham was coming home from a crusade, and, uh, of course, the limo driver was there to pick him up, and uh, he comes out of the airport, and he's in a hurry. He's got an appointment. He tells the limo driver, hey, I'm driving. Get in the back. And so he, he gets in, he drives the limo, he gets out on the interstate, he's, he's booking it, right? Weaving in and out of, weaving in and out of traffic, I mean, doing 90, 100 miles an hour, he's got places to be, people to see, right? Well, a rookie motorcycle cop is on the interstate and he's clocking people and he clocks Billy Graham, boop, doing 100, 120 miles per hour. And so he gets up and he's like, oh, I got a hot one here. And so he gets on his little, you know, motorcycle, pulls over Billy Graham, right? Gets off of his bike, walks up, taps on the window. Billy Graham rolls the window down. He looks down. He sees it's Billy Graham. He looks up. He takes a breath, and he goes back to his motorcycle, and he gets on the radio, and he says, "Uh, Sarge, um, I, I, I pulled over someone today. And you know how sometimes there are people that you, you know, you tell us we just have to let them go. It's not that they're above the law, but they get special favor for some reason. Who did you pull over? Did you pull over the governor? No, sir. No, I didn't pull over the governor. No. You tell me you didn't pull over a judge. Uh, No, sir, not a judge. You better not have pulled over the president. No, I'm pretty sure this is more important than the president. Well, who did you pull over? Sir, I'm pretty sure I just pulled over Jesus Christ because Billy Graham's driving the limo. (laughs) It's my favorite joke. Anyway, moving right along. Moving right along. So, uh, so, you know, we assume that Billy Graham's going to get a crown. We, Mother Teresa, for those of you who were familiar with her life, we assume, you know, because of the life she, you know, the sacrifice, sacrificial life she lived, that she would, she will get this crown of, of, the, of, you know, this crown of jewels of gold on her head, and Jesus himself is going to say thank you. But I would be willing to bet that there are going to be people in this room who get a crown. There's going to be people there who get a thank you. Now, we all get rewards, amen, it's, but it's not participation trophies. Don't, don't, 
Don't hear what I'm not saying. It will be as a result of the life that we lived here on earth. This life is the briefest thing we will do in all of eternity. And it's hard sometimes to remember that when we wake up every day to this, this, this issue that's going on in my life. Or this, you know, we're, we've all got goals and dreams and desires and we're all striving to do something. And it's hard to remember that this is the briefest thing that we'll do in life when every single day at the present moment we're living for something. But there's going to be people that when we get to heaven, we will have never heard their names We will not know their stories until we get there. And then Jesus himself tells their story to us. And he will give them a crown. And the Bible talks about in Revelations chapter 4 about the 24 elders. You don't have to turn there. I'm I'm not making a message out of this. But how they all were given crowns. And in Revelations chapter 4, every one of them picks it up. And every one of them casts their crown at the feet of Jesus saying, We're not worthy. Only you are worthy. You deserve the glory, the honor, the majesty. So, people who weren't necessarily the all-star of the team, but instead lived their lives serving, assisting, behind the scenes, praying. Right now, you guys may not even know this, but right behind that wall, there is a group of people who are praying for you right this second. They're praying for you. As they walked through the foyer, saw your face, they're back there remembering you in their prayers. They're praying for this service. They're praying for me. They're praying for the mission and vision of our church. You don't even know who they are. Them. People who are behind the scenes. People who who are giving their life to something bigger than than just themselves. Does that make sense, friends? What does this have to do with ride or die, Pastor Darian? Well, we'll find out. I have no idea. I want to talk... I want to talk to the person who, who lives that way. Or for those of you who may not live for others, I'm hoping that this inspires you. There's a guy in Scripture who lived his life this way, and his name was Timothy. Uh, there's not much mentioned about him. Um, a few things here and there, but for the most part, it's Paul talking about Timothy. And the reason why we don't hear much about him is Timothy was a number two guy. Number one guys typically get all the attention in Scripture. Moses was a number one guy. You hear about Moses. You don't hear a lot about Aaron, but he was a number two guy. You know, we hear stories of Elijah. There's some things about Elisha, but you hear more about Elijah. And again, we can go through all of them. David, we can go through Gideon. You can go through and you can, you can see or recognize the all-stars or the heroes of Scripture. But every single hero, there is a, there's a co-star. There is a team. There is someone who is with them that God brings along to help them. So in this, you, you read a lot about Paul, but not as much about Timothy. And there's a couple of things about Timothy that I think we can learn from today. Paul was grateful for the young man. Now, Timothy joined Paul when he was really young uh, because there are scriptures that basically Paul is encouraging Timothy, hey, listen, don't let anybody look down on you just because you're young. You be an example. We have always said it and we've always seen it throughout scripture. God has always and will always use young people. 
the generation that, that some of us in society has given up on, God chooses to use them. God wants to use them. Think about it. All the way throughout Scripture, young people have been at the forefront of what God was doing. Remember when um, um, uh, Peter and John were in prison? And no, it wasn't Peter and John. It was who? That's it. That's it. That's it. Those guys. When they were in prison and uh, they were, they were uh, the church was praying for them and an angel showed up. An angel showed up and knocked, you know, opened the, the gates and they walked out and they walked to the actual place where the people were praying, knocked on the door, and the Bible says a servant girl named Rhoda answered the door. A, a teenager was right there to see what God was doing. Watched it happen. We, we're praying for him. There they are. We're praying for him. There, there they are. In fact, went back to everybody and said, hey, hey, they're at the door. They're at the door. They were like, hush now, we're praying. <laughs> No, they're at the door. And of course, we see, you know, the whole story. They come in and told everything that God was doing. Uh, David was a shepherd's boy. Amen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, young men who, who loved God. Mary, the very mother of Jesus, was, some scholars say, late teens when she got pregnant with the master. That's young. That's young, when she was found to be with child, with Jesus, the Holy Spirit hovered over. Young people have always been in the forefront of what God's doing. Timothy was a young man when he came to Paul, and Paul recognized something inside of him. Now, if you read the story of um, Paul, I'm sorry, of Timothy's life, you'll read in 2 Timothy, I don't have scriptures, guys, don't even try to follow me. 2 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 4 um, Paul begins to, actually it's chapter 2, begins to talk about Timothy, and he starts talking about his unfeigned faith. Un means non, right? Feigned means pretend. A non-pretend faith. He recognized that inside of Timothy when he was a young man. There was something about the way he carried himself, something about the, the prayers that he prayed that Paul said, that's an unfeigned or a not pretend faith. You've got something. And then he recognized, you've got the same thing that was in your mama, because I knew your mama. And then he says, and the same thing that was in your grandmama, because I knew your grandmama. And it's in you also. And begins to tell him, listen, keep that stirred up. Keep that stirred up. Friends, as much as I hope to be your pastor and inspire you in life, and I'm hoping every one of these services are worth coming to, at the end of the day, you're responsible to keep your own fire stirred up. You're responsible to, to, to read and to grow and to hunger for the things of God. Have you ever had an appetite? You know what I'm talking about. You ever been hungry? Some of you are like, I'm hungry right now. Yeah, that's an appetite. And when you're hungry, the only thing you want is food. Some people get hangry, right? So you're like, oh, just give them a hamburger. They'll be fine, right? You know, and, and we, want, we want, you know, I'm just hungry. I'm just hungry. You know, there is an appetite for the things of God as well. There's an appetite for the things of God. And people who, who have lost their appetite, meaning this, 
they're not hungry in seasons when they should be hungry. That means something's wrong. Something inside of you, something in your, your digestive system isn't working. A lot of times when you get sick, you know, you get the flu or something like that, you stop eating and it's your body's way of just kind of, you know, flushing stuff out of you. You lose your appetite. We need to be the believers who are spiritually aware of our spiritual appetite. How much am I hungering for the things of God? How much is there a desire inside of me to know Him better, to know His Word, to know His character? And I think for some of us in the room, again, none of this is in my notes. Production team's got the day off. Um, I think for some of us in the room, Either we don't think we can, or we've tried that and it hasn't worked like we thought it would. And so we just kind of give up thinking that there's something inside of us that's broken. Maybe someday we'll get it. No, 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 no. You can get it today. Right now. Right now. This is why Paul would constantly pray those Ephesians prayers over the church and would say, I pray that your spiritual eyes would be opened that you would be enlightened, that you would understand the depth of what there is to know about God. And I think you guys look at people like me and you think, well, he's supposed to know. I'll just come and learn from him. Well, I mean, that is one of my assignments. But that's, I'm not the only one you're supposed to be listening to. And I'm not talking about just your favorite preachers out there. I'm talking about his word. Timothy lived his life that way. It was something hereditary, birthed inside of him, but it wasn't just birthed inside of him. It was trained by his mom and his grandma. Come on, ladies. Don't ever give up. Don't give up on those kids. Mamas, grandmamas, don't give up. But it's true for dads as well. Like, there's an unfeigned or a non-pretend faith about us that we live what we believe in the face of culture, in the face of a fallen world. And there's something about it that people notice because Paul noticed it in Timothy before Timothy was even in ministry. And so he's having this conversation about Timothy. He was so grateful for him because he was such this huge help. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul was in prison. But just because he's in prison... He didn't want his ministry efforts to, to stop. And so he needed someone to represent him to the churches. And so in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Now, again, not a lot written about Timothy, but we do see there's a couple of books written to him. Uh, Paul refers to him occasionally throughout Scripture. Uh, I hope to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. You know, I can't be there, prison, <laughs> but uh, I'm concerned about you, so I'm sending someone to you who gets it, who understands, who understands. There's nobody like him. In fact, in his writings, you will see Paul refer to young Timothy as his spiritual son. And if you know the, the, the story of, of Paul, he was never married. 
In fact, he's the one that says, listen, if it was up to me, none of y'all be married. <laughs> like, you need to just serve God with your whole life without the weight of a family, of a relationship. Why? Because, you know, you got to ask first, right? And so that's his, that, he says, just him, not God, right? That's it's just my personal opinion is what he says. But he, he lived his whole life just in service to God. But he still had Timothy, which he considered a spiritual son, someone who who thought like he thinks, who was there, who was present, who watched what God did through him, and then in turn, God used him. Verse 20 says, I have no one else like him. Man, what an honor to be considered by Paul, who wrote half the New Testament, to be referred to as, man, there is no one else like him. That dude gets it who will show genuine concern for your welfare. King James says, I have no one else who is like-minded, he says, who will sincerely and genuinely care for you, who thinks the way I think, who understands Scripture, who has my attitude, who has my values. There's no one like him but my boy Timothy. Verse 21 says, For everyone looks out for their own interests. Now, you got to understand, there's nothing written in Scripture by accident. Paul's not just using filler words here. He's not just, I mean, he's writing this, you know, pen and not like a bick, like feather, like dip it in ink, writing this stuff out. And so, every one of his words are meaningful, and he, he's proving a point by writing these stories. Everyone else looks out for their own interest and not those of Jesus Christ. One translation says everyone seeks their own thing. And, and Paul recognizes that, but, he, but he's, what he's saying is, not this guy. Not this guy. You know, our own thing may not always be the things that Jesus wants us to do. I, t- I tell youth culture all the time, listen, friends, it's not up for you to decide what you are going to be when you grow up. It's up to you to discover who God's called you to be. It's up to you to discover who God's called you to be. Friends, your life is meant for so much more, so much more than what you presently think it is. You're called for significance, and it may not be standing on a platform preaching to people, But there are things that the Lord wants to use you in that are just as important, if not more important, than what I'm doing with my life. I expect the here, well done, good and faithful servant when I get to heaven. But I believe that there's a lot of people in this room who your judgment time will be so much longer than mine because of the way you lived your life and the way you gave yourself to others. Number twos, maybe you've never noticed. No one ever, no one ever recognized you. Jesus does. Jesus does. And really, at the end of the day, he's the only one that really matters. No one ever appreciates anything I do around here. Who cares? Jesus appreciates it. Amen, everyone? Paul's like, Timothy, he gets it. Everyone else is kind of looking out for their own thing. They're, they're all seeking their own interest. Verse 22 says, but you know that Timothy has proved himself. In other words, they know who Timothy is. 
Last time Paul was there, he was like, hey, this is my boy Timothy. He's hanging out, helping, doing his thing. Like, they knew who Timothy was. And, and Paul, again, nothing is ever in, you know, it's not like he could just, he's not voice texting, right? You know my boy Timothy, he's a good dude. No, he's like every word is intentional in his writings. You know Timothy. You guys, you understand his character. You know how he has proved himself. And the Philippians are going, oh yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. He proved himself. He stuck with Paul through thick and thin. And then he goes on to say, because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. In other words, like people, you know, get all weird about, you know, you're not serving a man, you're serving God. That's true. But we can serve, we can serve our heavenly father through people. Joining our lives to their calling. In fact, I would dare say there's not one person in this room, there's not one person in the world who will get their own thing before they serve the vision of another person. That's just who God is. He wants to see your heart and your faithfulness. And when you serve another man's vision or another, what, someone that God's doing, when you serve their vision and you serve their calling, God will give you your own thing. It happened in Timothy's life. He was a number two until, until he became number one. Never desired to be a number one person. Always saw himself serving in this capacity. Because he, uh, he's a son, as a son, as with, with a father, he served me in the work of the gospel. Timothy had an attitude of servanthood. And he he has a proven character. When you serve, you forfeit the right to your own comfort, your own preferences. And this is not really something that's taught in our world today. um, Because most people, um, culture doesn't preach this. Uh, They see themselves as being the leader and not the one who serves. And culture has made it more about they want you to focus on abuse, on neglect, on your rights, what's in it for you. In fact, you know, people even hearing the message or watching online is like, I don't, I don't know if I want to live that way. I just don't think I'm about serving someone else. Amen. Moving right along. <clears throat> but they constantly put themselves, people who get this, people who have a Timothy understanding uh, put themselves beneath others. They always prefer others over themselves. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good. People don't understand serving and the benefit that comes from it. In the book of Luke, Jesus was trying to get this very point across, talking about the parable of the minas or the talents. Luke calls it minas or minas, M-I-N-A. Um, but he, he starts talking about how he called his servants together and he gave one five, or one ten, one five, and to another one one. But it's interesting, in Luke chapter 19, verse 17, when they all came back and gave account for their lives or how they used the gifting that God gave them, the talent that God gave them, Jesus' point was, well done, to the person who had ten, well done, my good and servant, his master replied, because you've been trustworthy in, very, in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. 
How we live our lives now is going to dictate the life and the rest of our eternity. Jesus is pointing out here, hey, listen, what you do with your goal, with your giftings and how you're wired now is really going to determine the life you live in eternity. Most of what the Lord has planned for you happens after this life. You might want to write that one down. Most of what the Lord has planned for you happens after this life. What are you trying to do, Pastor Darren? I'm trying to get you to lift your eyes up just a little bit and realize that we're all a part of something significant here. And because the Lord has brought you to your place, church, He's, he's partnered you with the vision that He gave for this county. Amen, everyone? <clears throat> we get so caught up in the here and now, we forget that this time on earth will be the briefest thing that we do in all of eternity. You know, I, I think, I don't know how, maybe it was my dad, um, but this whole serving others was, was put inside of me at a young age. I used to watch my dad. He's sitting up here on the second row. Um, the neighbor across the street, he had this lawnmower. It was terrible. I know because I, used to, I, I mowed his lawn when I got older. But he would, he would go out, and it was one of those lawnmowers that had this little crank, and he would crank it like this. And then he'd hit a button. And it would try to crank the lawnmower. And he would be out in this summer sun, right, this summer heat. And he was, a, he was an older gentleman. And he'd be out there trying to get that lawnmower to start. And my dad had a putting green for a yard at our house. Like it was, I mean, it was laser level, not a weed one in it, right? And I mean, I, some people I think got therapy by mowing their yard. And my dad, I don't know if he got therapy from it, but he enjoyed a nice green yard. And so he would go out and he would mow his yard and he'd see the neighbor out there and he'd pop, 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 like it would just never start. Well, he'd finish our yard and he'd go over and he'd mow the neighbor's yard. Just, just an elderly gentleman in our neighborhood. We didn't really, we didn't go to dinner. We didn't hang out at each other's house. He just knew of him. And he would go over and he'd mow his yard in his backyard. Man, it was a mess to mow around. I know because when I got older, I mowed it, right? <laughs> and so he'd mow it and the old boy would get his waddle. Hey, let me pay for that. Let me pay. And, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He, he, my dad was the first person that I, I saw edge a yard. You know what I mean? Where it's got, there's no grass hanging over the sidewalk. He just wanted, he'd edge it. Well, then he'd just start edging all the neighbor's yards. You know what I mean? He had an edger and, and no one else did back then. And so he had an edger and he'd, man, he'd put, I mean, I'm talking an inch and a half edge around that thing. It was so cool. Uh, but then he'd go and he'd edge the neighbor's yards. Just, just, just generous with his time. Most people is just, your yard is, a, is just something in the way of the rest of your Saturday. But he just took it upon himself to do that. Well, that got inside of me. And so growing up, and especially when I got saved, you guys okay with this? Yeah, especially when I got saved, man, it just, it just kept kind of fostering inside of me. I remember when I first got saved, I was, I was worshiping at a large church um, over in the Tulsa metro area, and we had a large campus and we had buses, and our church would bring, we'd have conferences, much like what we're getting ready to do here, but on a large scale. And we, we'd have parking, and back, this is back in the 90s, and so um, back when mega churches were like first 
mega churches, we were a part of a mega church, and, and we had people come into these conferences. We had to park them in the overflow. We had ball fields. We parked people in ball fields, and then we would bus them to the, to the church. And I, was, I would get there at 5 a.m., and one of our conferences always happened in February, and February is the coldest month in Oklahoma. And if we're going to get any kind of precipitation, it's going to be in February. And so we would have to get there at 5, and un, without a fail, uh, it would snow or sleet or ice. And we, I'm from the generation that we don't cancel church, bless God. You know what I mean? And so we would get there at 5, and we would have, we had acres and acres and acres of parking lot and sidewalks. And we would get there at 5 a.m., and we would start clearing parking lots. I'm 18 years old. 5 a.m., get there cleaning parking lots. And just as soon as the parking lots were clear, about that time, the people would start showing up. We'd go out, and we'd, we'd crank these old buses up, trying to get these old things running get them warm, and then we would spend the rest of the, that morning picking up people, picking up people, getting them to the front door, cold, I'm talking cold outside. And then we'd, after service, and those services went long back in those days, we'd wait for every single person. We took the last person to their car at the end of the day. We were the first ones there and the last ones to leave every single day. But you know what? There was nothing else better to do in the world. Man, I was serving God by serving the vision of that church. Serving the vision of the ministry. And it did something to me. And I'm convinced we are where we are today because of those days. Serving. An unfeigned faith. It built inside of me serving others. Are you with me, friends? Well, that carried over into my... Um, you know, into our ministry. We were, the, we were the youth pastors at our first assignment. Uh, if you've been to our Compass event, you've probably heard us talk about uh, our youth ministry days in, in Coweta. I heard someone say, if, if the world needed an enema, they'd stick it in Coweta. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what they said. Uh, I didn't say it. I just heard someone say it. Um, but during those days, I believed it. I mean, it was, there's just nothing there. Now it's become more. Um, but back in those days, there was just nothing there. We were the youth pastors, did it for free. We were the uh, bus drivers. We did a bus ministry. We got these little Chevy vans, and we drove all across Kuwait picking up kids and bringing them to church. I was that guy. We cleaned the church. Um, it, just, it just branched over into that. Um, first thing that Tara and I, when we graduated Bible school, we looked at each other, and she's like, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't know. What do you want to do? In ministry, this is what we're talking about in ministry. And she's like, as long as it's not youth or kids, I'm good. <laughs> in Kawita, we did youth and kids. <laughs> it was just our assignment. It was our assignment. It's what we did. Loved it. Never had any intentions on leaving that church ever. But then God begins to tap on our shoulder about going to a church in Topeka, Kansas. And so we uprooted our family, and we moved to Topeka, Kansas. First time we'd ever been in a community where we didn't have a support system, like a family. No one to watch our kids, no friends. Like, it was just me, her, and our three little ones. In fact, Tyson was born when, I remember Tyra being eight months pregnant. The church rented us an apartment on the third floor. 
and Tyra showing up, you know, eight months pregnant, carrying luggage in a, you know, a two-year-old up to the third floor. We had Tyson during that season, and he, he was raised in that church. We would serve that church. I was the camera, I was the youth pastor, but I was also the camera operator. Mad love to you, my friend. Mad love to you. At all of our events, I'd show up. I'd be behind camera. I'm the youth pastor. Pastor. Right there behind camera. Following the speakers. And man, we had, that was back in the day when we'd, just, we'd have special meetings just for the sake of having special meetings. You know what I mean? Let's just have a special meeting. Women's ministry, men's ministry, camp meetings, winter seminars. Let's have a seminar because we haven't had a, haven't had a seminar in a while. I mean, we just did it, and I'm just there serving. The first one there, I'd, I'd, when the pastor would show up, I'd, I'd, open the, I'd open the door for his wife to get out of the car. I'd grab her stuff for her. I'd walk them into their special little room they had to get ready. Loved it. Loved it. Right smack dab in the middle of God's will for my life. And I'm a pastor. Are you with me, friends? I was there before he showed up, and I was the last one there at night. What is that? It's a servant. And I'm not saying this to toot my own horn. I'm telling you that culture has moved us away from that. The minute it stops being for me, I'm done. I move on. Planted is not a thing in our culture. Amen. So here's Timothy. And he's writing this letter about Timothy. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is writing a letter to Timothy who's taking care of one of the churches in Ephesus at the time. And this is the last letter that Paul writes like the last one right before he, he goes to be with Jesus. And we see him in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy. Look how, look, look how he addresses Timothy. My dear son. My dear son. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta read his letters like he's wanting you to read them. You gotta, you gotta picture the tone in his voice. You're like a son to me, Timothy. Grace and mercy and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at verse three. I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you, Timothy, in my prayers. Man, I pray for you, son. I remember you in my prayers. And then he goes into into this, recalling your tears. In other words, this hasn't been an easy road for Timmy. This hasn't, been a, this hasn't just been all gravy, a great life. I mean, traveling the world, following a man who has a calling in his life. He's like, listen, I know. I know. This has been hard. I get that. And I, I look at some of you, and I think about your stories, and I know how we've prayed you through some things. 
we prayed you through some life issues. I, I, I kind of, not, maybe not quite to the degree that Paul is here, but you guys have, we've walked you through some things, and you've walked us through some things. I mean, pastoring this church has probably been one of the hardest assignments we've done. But God's grace has been mercy, yeah. merciful there. He says, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Yes, your joy comes in the Lord, but there's something about those covenant relationships that when you've just spent time together, it just restores your soul. He's like, man, I long to see you that I can be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Here he goes. Which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Paul knew generations of the same family, right? Verse 15, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. He gets a little real with Timothy. This is just a writing that the church got a hold of. He's having, he's, again, dip, every word has meaning, right? Because it's, I mean, this is a process to write this. And it wasn't this, it wasn't a screen, it wasn't even a, a piece of paper, it was parchments. Pieces of material rolled up. And he goes on and he says, listen, everybody in the province of Asia has, des- has deserted me, including those two guys. <laughs> may the Lord show them mercy to the, may, lo- may the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus Bible names. If any of you name your kid Onesiphorus, I'm coming for you. Anyway, because often he refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Paul appreciates loyalty in good times and in bad ones. You can see that. Uh, When he got sent to prison, you know, even if he was wrongfully accused, people, people, when you're having a good season, people are with you. But if you all of a sudden start to have a bad season, uh, people desert you. And Paul recognizes that Timothy never left him. The final chapter of 2 Timothy, Paul writes this, In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead. In other words, everyone's getting judged. In the view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. It's the very last time Paul writes to Timothy. How many of you guys know that Timothy probably kept this letter for the rest of his life? Preach the word, bro. Preach the word. Be prepared in and out, uh, in season and out of season. In other words, hey, you've spent your whole life serving me and God through our ministry and and being a son to me. But what he's saying is, now it's your time. Now it's your time. And I want you guys to know, there's a day coming that it's your season. It's your time. You step into the thing that God has called you to do. But it always comes after living a life of serving God through the mission and vision of who he's connected you to. Preach the word and be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage, 
Paul tells Timothy, one of your assignments is to correct people. We're kind of nervous about correcting people in this day and age. We can't be. I said this at prayer last Wednesday night. If the church fails to speak up, the people will only hear one world view. Because culture is not afraid to speak up and shout it from the rooftops. If we fail to talk, if we fail to speak up, if we fail to be clear, then people will only hear one world view. And it's the wrong view. It's the wrong view. Paul's having this conversation with Timothy, and he's like, listen, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction, son. For a time will come, look at verse 3, time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. We're there. And a lot of us in the room, we're, we're at a place where we're going to have to draw a line in the sand and we're going to have to ask ourselves the question, do we truly believe the full word of God or not? Yeah. Well, God would want me. God wants what his word says. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And whatever you're thinking about in your heart right now on whatever issue or topic, that's the topic the Holy Spirit wants to talk to you about. I haven't mentioned any of them. But whatever you're thinking about, that you think I'm alluding to, that's the Holy Spirit wanting to have a conversation with you about that topic. Because I haven't mentioned anything. I'm just reading what the Scripture says. For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit, look at this, their own desires. their own desires. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. This has never been more prevalent than the season that the church is in today. Are you with me, friends? They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Paul says, to his to his son, his spiritual son, Timothy. Look at verse 5. You, boy, you, son, you, keep your head. Keep your head. What is he saying? Keep your thoughts. You keep your thoughts. You keep focus. Don't let anything change you from what you know to be true. Don't let anything change you from what the Word of God says. Regardless of what happens to you, regardless of how good the the case that they're pleading may sound, you keep your head. You keep your head in this. In all situations, and then he says, endure hardships. No one said it's going to be easy. Do the work of an evangelist. What does an evangelist do? They preach Jesus. They get people saved. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your your ministry. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. In other words, I realize my time is up. 
and the time for my departure is near. And then it's like, it's like Paul goes into this moment of self-reflection. And again, remember, he's not just voice texting this. He's wanting his words to, to carry. Probably had no idea we'd be reading his words generations later. This is just a letter to his spiritual son. He goes on to say, do the work of an evangelist. I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. And I want that to be your sentence for your life. When you get to the end of your days, man, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. Yeah. Amen, everyone? I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now, there is in store for me, here we go again, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. To all of us who are not just living for our 401k. That's, that's important. Do it. Go get it. All of us who are wanting our investments to come out. All of us who are just really believing God for those items on our vision list. Great. Do it. But you're living for more than that. Does this make sense, friends? All who've longed for his appearing. And then it's almost as, he, as like he comes to himself and remembers who he's writing to. Verse 9. Do your best to come to me quickly, son. No one gets me like you do, man. These letters aren't working. I need you here. I need you to see me. And then he goes on for Demas because he loved this world. He loved the things that he was spending most of his time focused on. Demas loved this world, has deserted me, and he's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Demolta. Only Luke is with me. My boy Luke is here. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. And again, he had no intention. You think he's gossiping here. No, he's having a conversation with his spiritual son. Remember Alexander? You know, the metal worker dude. He's writing him. He did a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. There are people who are strongly opposing the message that we preach. Which is why we saturate it in Scripture. We don't preach a message of religion around here. It's not about signing any church role. We just give you the unadulterated version of the gospel. Amen, everyone. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. You get a glimpse of his heart here. He's hurt, but he doesn't want anybody punished over it. But the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength, which is why you need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because in those seasons, you need the Lord to be with you. Amen? That through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and the Gentiles might hear it. The Lord be with you in spirit grace be with you all. Amen. Amen. That was Timothy. A man who you never see him in the spotlight. He didn't start with his own deal, but he ended up getting one. 
We don't see, we don't read about any of the miracles that he did, even though undoubtedly there were. We don't hear about how he led after Paul, even though we know he did. What we hear about how loyal he was, how he didn't seek his own thing, but he finally got it. He was a friend. He was a son. He was someone Paul could count on no matter what. He was Paul's ride or die. Ride or die. What's your story? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you about this message? I pray that you ask yourself those questions and see what the Lord has for you. Amen? Father, we are so grateful for stories like this that we have in Scripture that really not only capture a glimpse of a relationship between Paul and who he referred to as his spiritual son, but Father, I believe sets up a compass, a desire in our own hearts about how we should live our lives. And Father, I know, I mean, I... I feel like Paul in some of these areas. Father, I don't know why you called me this to do this because I feel so unworthy at times. But yet recognize that calling. And Father, I pray that every one of us in the room, everybody that's watching online would hear these words and, and somehow be moved by the Holy Spirit to respond the same way that Timothy did. God, that we would live our lives, not for ourselves, but for you. And serving others, Father God. That's why serve day is so important to us. That's why serve teams are so important to us, Father God. It's not just, it's not just about my thing. It's about building your thing in Mays County, Father. And to the other most parts of the world. God, we count it a privilege to be a part of what you're doing through the vehicle of your place, church. We really do, Lord. We love you and we thank you for it now in Jesus' name.